With that, would y'all open up your Bibles to Psalm 1 with me? And while you're opening up there, I want to pose a a question. Do you ever get frustrated feeling like you're stuck between two realities? Because in the Bible, we see one reality that if you're a Christian, that you are blessed. You are different. But then, so that's one side. But then on the other side, we also kind of live with reality of life that, you know, we don't live a whole lot different than non-Christians. You know, like Christians get married, have jobs, have families and stuff, but non-Christians, they get married, have jobs, have families. You know, when it rains, it doesn't just rain on like the, the righteous people, but it rains on, you know, everyone. When, de- when drought comes, it, it doesn't just selectively choose where it goes, but like sometimes we're stuck with like this sense of like, well, we're told that we're blessed on one side and we believe that, but on the other side, it doesn't feel like sometimes like we're really that much different. Sometimes that can be a difficult uh, reality to deal with. And what I want to argue to y'all today is that you are actually blessed and you are actually different than a non-Christian if you're a Christian. Um, and if you're a non-Christian, you are actually different and should not be deceived with all of the blessings that you get right now because you aren't fully blessed like a Christian is. So uh, with that, listen while we read someone, listen to the juxtaposition the dichotomy, the, con- the comparison and contrast between the blessed and the wicked. Would y'all read with me? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither, in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we pray that you would stick, that you would plant whatever truths that I say from your word today, that they would be like the tree planted in, in, near streams of water. But anything I say that might be wrong or off, Lord, we pray that it would blow like the chaff away. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your truth and your, through your word We know that you are faithful to speak to us anytime we come to your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessing. That's the first word that we have here, blessed. It's kind of the signpost for this psalm. It's the first word of the the whole book of Psalms. It's kind of an attention-grabbing word. Blessed. Prosperity. Blessings. Riches. That's kind of the, uh, it's the first thing that we get told out of the book of Psalms. I don't know about you, but that's not always what I think of whenever I think of the book of Psalms. Uh, my wife, Ellie, grew up in a church, uh, a Presbyterian church that was preaching through the Psalms uh, her, her whole high school, while she was in high school. So 
she only remembers the book of Psalms being preached. And whenever I told her when we were dating that uh, I was going to be preaching a song, she goes, oh, it almost kind of like it was like a little bit of like a not a bad thing, but kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of sad. You know, normally when we think of the Psalms, we think of like kind of sadder things, you know, like crying out to God for need, for help, for, you know, in anguish, crying out for petitions and stuff like that. We don't always think about like blessing. And specifically, this Psalm feels very different from the rest of the Psalter. It's, it's called what, what uh, a lot of scholars call it a, a, a didactic psalm, which just means that it's a psalm of wisdom. And the rest of the psalms kind of feel very, like, moody, you know? Like, just like the author's, the, the whoever's writing is just kind of wearing his heart on his sleeves, you know? And this psalm feels very different. And it starts out with, a, in the place that most psalms don't. It starts out with the reality that we are. Most psalms start out with where the author is. And then they go to the reality, to what God says, to what he is. Um, but this one kind of works in the opposite way. It starts with blessing. And I think that's supposed to get our attention. It is kind of att- attention-grabbing. Who, who doesn't want to be blessed? I mean, that's like a universal thing. We all want to be blessed. And this isn't specifically talking about, like, happiness, but, like, <clears throat> but blessing that is... Uh, Kind of all-encompassing. The uh, the word that's used here is is actually a, a plural word, and so it's um, it's not a you, but it's a y'all, and so it's the y'all of blessings. It's not a single blessing, but it's a plurality. It's a multitude. It's it's kind of an overflowing sense of blessings, and it's it's kind of connotating a you are, but you're also going to continue to be. It's it's indicating a future, a destiny that's been blessed, a way, if you would, that is blessed. And so that's what we start out here is with blessing. And I want you to notice that there's the first point titled is two ways because it starts with blessing, but the psalm ends with perishing. It's an incredibly poetic move to, to situate the first word and the last word as the two subjects of the psalm. I mean, can we just appreciate how uh, the, the author did that, you know? He, he's, he's very clearly pointing out there, there are two ways. There's a way of blessing and there's a way of per- perishing. And likewise, that way of perishing is also a plurality. It is a future-oriented, it's a destiny, it's a way. And so you are either blessed or you are perishing. You are either being blessed or you are, practic- you are actually perishing. And so we're set up with these two different ways. And we see specifically that the first person that gets talked about is the blessed man. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. So here we see that there's a progression to uh, the attraction and the allure of sin. Sin is often described um, to be uh, enticing, to be unsatisfied to be uncatchable in some sense, that it doesn't just let you stay where you are, but it keeps moving you along step by step by step. You know, I don't think that I've ever talked to anyone who's had an affair on their wife and just said one day they just woke up and they decided to cheat on them. 
Usually it begins with this, you know, this dissatisfaction in their marriage. It begins to have open, doors begin to open. The flirting begins to pursue, begins to carry on and on. And that's really a picture of sin. It's what we do with sin. No, we rarely just, if ever, just decide just to do the worst thing in the world possible. Instead, we're lured and enticed by it. That's the connotation that's here. The enticement starts by just walking, and then it goes to sitting, and then it or then it goes to standing in, and then sitting in. And so, the first is talks about a counsel. So, um, kind of like the ad, advice, the uh, Counsel the uh, you're considering listening. You are listening. You are considering. You're uh, weighing if it is good or not. And then you find yourself standing in the way. So there becomes a. It comes from just like I want to hear what they have to say to actually standing and associating with that. But then it doesn't stop there, and it goes on to actually turn to mocking all other ways. You know, the, a seat in biblical language is always a, is always a image of authority. And um, we find ourselves, when lured and enticed by sin, going from just considering the ways to standing and identifying with the ways to actually mocking any way that is different. Sin's just never satisfied. And notice that this is the way that the man is not. So we kind of get described what the perishing are like through being described what the blessed man is not. So he's not like that. He doesn't take counsel from the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and he doesn't sit in the sea of scoffers. But instead, the opposite of that is him actually delighting in the law of the Lord. You see, he actually takes his counsel from the law of the Lord. And here we might need to unpack a little bit what the word law means. You know, we don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't know when it was written. But if we were to uh, assume that it was David who wrote it, then David would have only had the first five books of what we have of our Bible now. He would have only had what they call the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And even if it wasn't David... We still think it's probably written pretty early because it's the first book of the Psalter. And so they probably only had the first five books. And so here we find that he is delighting and meditating on just the first five books of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but we have a lot more to our Bible than just the first five books. The first five books end right around here for me. And yet we have all this other text. And and yet we're given this picture that he is continually delighting and meditating on this word. Kind of like he just can't get enough of it. Like he can't really reach the bottom of it. And yet he only has five books. Isn't that wild? I uh, did not used to be uh, an art person by any means. I still wouldn't call myself an art person. I don't, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about art, but... Um, we lived for two years up in Illinois while I was doing some school, and 
the leader of my program had us look at an art piece every week. And uh, we, the way we started this pro, the way we started this is he had a, he has take a blank sheet of paper and he put up an art piece and he said, write, make 15 lines in every minute, write just what you're looking at. And I was like, 15 minutes? I got to stare at this art piece? I mean, this is, it's kind of weird, you know? Like I, I, I can look at it, I see it all, you know? But then he started the timer and I wrote, all right, well, there's a mouse. There's a man. The mouse has a chain for some reason. I don't know why. And then I keep going. And next thing I know, it's 15 minutes. And I've written this whole page of stuff that I've observed about this painting. Upon first initial looking, I didn't see much. But as I began to look at the details, I began to see more and more. I was looking at another piece the other day. And uh, I was look I'd been looking at it off and on for two or three days. And then I realized after three, two or three days of looking at that the author had painted, the, the artist had painted himself right into the middle of the picture. And he's staring you right in the face. But yeah, I was so captivated by all the stuff that was going on behind him that I didn't even see him. And sometimes I feel like that can be us with our Bibles. You know, sometimes we just give it a cursory read and we miss stuff. Or we, we assume that we've, you know, we've already read Genesis before. And so we don't need to read it again. And what we miss is the artist who's actually in the artist, that how the artist is actually in the art himself. You know, I have preached Psalm 1 something like 10 times probably. And you're probably wondering, wow, this is 10 times? I thought we'd get a better sermon after this. But <laughs> I know, I know. But the thing is, is that Psalm 1, for only being so many words, it's less than 100 words, it's just I can't get to the end of it. I just can't ever get to where I'm completely satisfied with all that I know about it. It's just, it endlessly is racking my brain. And I, I know all the words to it. But it begins to just take different shape and form every time I look at it. And so I just can't, I just can't give it up. Poor Ellie has to listen to it preached over and over again. But I preached this psalm last week, and, she's, and she told me that this was the best time I'd preached it, and that she learned something different that time. And so I hope it's the same this time. We just don't ever get to the end of the word. Uh, one of my favorite preachers says that the Bible is the only book that is always wider than we can reach and always deeper than we can reach. It is the only book that truly grows with us. If we can say similar things about art pieces made by finite physical men, how much more can we say that about the Word of God? I mean, God is perfect. Therefore, His Word is perfect. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, this is a rhetorical question, so don't raise your hand. But if you have ever, if you've read all your Bible, were you completely satisfied with your understanding of the Bible? <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm not. I know I'm you know, young, but I've asked this question to older people. Um, there's a pastor that 
came and spoke to us one time, and uh, I was just amazed. He was in he was in his late 80s, and I was amazed by how much he said that he still just didn't know and he, how he was, how much he was still trying to figure out about the Bible. And this is a guy that's wrote commentaries. I was like, dude, you still don't know everything. You're like 89. Like, what hope is there for me? And that's the thing. Even after 50 years of faithful ministry, he was still exploring the depths of Scripture. And so take not counsel in the, from the wicked. Don't stand, don't follow the way of sinners. Don't scoff, but delight in the word of God. Delight in it day and night. That doesn't mean that you read it in the morning when you wake up and at night when you go to sleep. But that means that you're thinking and meditating, you're chewing on it, you're ruminating on it all day long. Memorize scripture so that you can do that. You know, we can't always have our Bibles open physically in front of us, but we can always have the Word of God in our heart, on our mind, so that wherever we go, we can have the Word with us. All right, I got I to get going. Uh, I just get so, I love uh, first two verses, but we've got to move on to, we've talked about the way, and now we're going to talk about the end. There's two ends, two there's two ways, there's two ends, and then there's two images. So let's look at the two ends. Therefore, verse 5 and 6, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here we see that the wicked get what was coming to them. They don't get to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Notice how this is almost kind of an undoing of the first two verses. There is this like a progression forward, and now they're kind of being undone and unraveled, going backwards. They don't get to stand in the way, uh, they don't get to stand in judgment, nor stand in the congregation of the righteous, but their way perishes. <clears throat> this is a this is really sad. This is really easy to just kind of gloss over. But what we're talking about here is at the end of time, sinners are judged. Sinners perish eternally. The, the image of perishing is like this like continual decay that doesn't ever stop. That's a, terrible, that's a terrifying image. If you're not a Christian, I just want to warn you and plead with you that the way you're going is not going to last. It's going to end up being your demise. And if you're a Christian, like I assume most of you are here, this should change the way that we interact with, our, with others. Perishing is a terrible, terrible, gruesome image that we get. Throughout Scripture, it's described as torment. Eternal judgment is described as torment. It's described as like a lake of fire, an unquenchable fire that never stops. This should move us to share the good news with those who are around us and tell them that they don't have to perish, but they can actually be blessed. And that that blessing isn't just like a one-time thing. 
But it's a continuous and ongoing thing in that how much better is the way of blessing than the way of righteous? How much better is the way of righteousness and blessing than the way of wicked perishing? But if you're a Christian here, there is some really good news that you can hear right here. And that is that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. When I was, when I was younger, the God knowing all things, being everywhere and having all power used to kind of scare me, you know, because that meant that he saw every bad thing that I was doing. But now that I've actually become saved, it's actually become an immense source of comfort for me. You know, when I am uh, choosing not to sin, the Lord sees that. And the Lord loves that. He commends that. And when I'm suffering, whether righteously or unrighteously, He sees that. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And if that is you, then the Lord knows what you're doing. The Lord knows that you love Him. The Lord knows that you're meditating day and night on His Word. And that is an immense comfort to me. Because as much as I you know, love my wife, she doesn't see everything that I do for her, for myself, for the Lord. And yet, if she's able to recognize and speak to good things that I do, how much from just her finite, limited seeing of what I can do, how much more is the Lord able to do that? And if you are a Christian, you should take immense comfort in that. So the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and that should be immense uh, comfort to us. So we see, so we see the, the, the two ways. We see the two ends. Let's look at, lastly, at the two images. So we've, been, we've seen these two people get compared and contrasted. We see where their ends lead. And now they get painted kind of as a picture. There's two images here. The first is like a tree, and the second is like chaff. The blessed man, the righteous man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is an interesting image. Here we have a tree Sounds like it was a pre-existing tree that gets planted somewhere else. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. So there's, it connotes images of intentionality, uh, forethought, planning, even like favor because this tree got taken to a place that was better. And so this tree gets planted by streams of water. And this is what's really interesting. With, in our English translation, we, it's not immediately obvious what the uh, what this type of stream of water is like. It's not like a creek in Texas, uh, you know, because that's what I think of whenever I'm from the Panhandle, and so we uh, don't really have rivers; we just have creeks, and they are what we call uh, wet season uh, creeks, you know, which means for about three days in the spring they'll run with water, but the rest, you know, the, the 360 some odd other days of the year it's just bone dry, you know. And so that's kind of what I thought this was like at first, because that's kind of where trees are in the panhandle, is they're near the creeks, because that's where the water flows once a year, you know. Um, but the image here is actually more of an irrigation canal. It's a, it's a uh, 
it's a stream that's intentionally been dug so that there is year-round water that is available to this tree. And so it's not a dry season creek that you as a Christian have been planted by. In fact, you've actually been kind of given everything you need to prosper year-round. You know, if you have this type of canal, then your tree doesn't have to worry about whether it's a drought or it's a flood. There's always water. There's always what it needs to prosper right there. And so that is why he is able to yield its fruit in its season. That is why he, his, its leaf never, never, never withers. And that is why everything that it does prospers. And that is the image that we are given as Christians. If you are a Christian, you are, have been taken and planted by a stream of water that's always running and always flowing, always nourishing and always blessing. Therefore, you are always able to be blessed, to bear fruit, no matter the season. I just, I wonder what people not in America read this like. You know, people who like actually get persecuted for their faith, not saying that we don't experience some minor forms of persecution, but like people who, you know, can't meet freely like we do. Do you think that they're, I feel like they actually probably are able to understand this passage a little better than we are because they understand what it means to go through droughts, to go through seasons that are incredibly hard. And yet, I haven't heard any Christian that's not from America say that this passage isn't true. In fact, I hear this passage preached more in places that are not America than in America. Because I think that because they have been drugged through drought and storm, they are able to attest to this all the more. How much more are we able to attest to this? You know, I love the image of a tree because it's kind of an image of legacy, of lasting. I mean, that's what we call like a family tree. You know, we compare... No one is a family chaff. Like that's not an image that lasts or is promotes longevity. But trees, they're generational. They, they are bulwarks, you know. They are always there. And they will always seem to be there. And that's the image that gets created by this uh, comparing us to a tree. But I want to point out that the wicked are not so. I feel like this is an appropriate place to land because uh, that, this is where the passage ends. The passage ends with, ends with per- perishing. Uh, the way that this psalm is structured is that it's a chiasm. And so the center of the psalm is the most important part of it. And so that's what we see here, that, this, that the image is actually what we're supposed to be left with. Up in the panhandle, my uh, dad was... Um, he used to manage a grain elevator, like a big silo thing. You know, it's a big concrete uh, storehouse for grain and stuff. And the county I grew up in is, uh, has been dubbed the wheat heart of the nation, meaning that we grow more wheat than any other county in the nation. That's our one thing that we hang our hat on that and Hank the Cowdog, author being from our county. So wheat heart of the nation, Hank the Cowdog, that's what we uh, are known for. But uh, so my dad used to manage this grain elevator. And so uh, during the summer, during wheat harvest, uh, 
the combines would come through, harvest the grain, <clears throat> and they would separate as best they could the, the chaff from the wheat. And the chaff, if you don't know what chaff is, it's kind of like this like ultra thin paper-like casing that protects the seed, the, the wheat seed. Um, and it's, it's, if you ever get any when you're trying to eat wheat or if you're trying to make bread, it just like ruins the whole loaf. It ruins the whole batch. It's just disgusting. It, it's, it's like this like paper-like stuff that tastes bad and it's gritty and it just ruins everything. And the chaff, it has to be separated from the wheat. And so, you know, combines do a little bit of that. But then when it comes to the grain elevator, what they have to do is they put all the wheat on this huge conveyor belt. And then they send this, uh, all the grain into a pile. But because there's always a breeze of the panhandle, when that grain gets shot off the end of the conveyor belt, well, the wheat that has substance it falls to the ground. But the chaff that has no substance, that's just paper-like and thin, it gets blown away to the next county. And it's just, it's, it's gone. It's forgotten. And here's the thing. My dad grew up in Nebraska, and so we would drive all through the High Plains growing up, and there was always this one elevator that we would pass, and it was not functional anymore. It actually had this huge part of the grain elevator like looked like a bomb had gone off in it. And I always asked my dad, what, what happened there? And he said, well, the problem is, is that um, there's a lot of static electricity because it's always so dry. And uh, when the wheat got gathered up, they didn't separate all the chaff out of it. And that chaff is actually very, very, very flammable. And if you get enough chaff and enough static electricity, it literally blows up like a bomb. This thousands of pounds concrete elevator gets blown, gets a wall blown out of it because someone didn't separate the chaff from the wheat. And that's kind of the image that I want to leave y'all here with today. It's actually very dangerous to separate if to not separate the chaff and the wheat. Where uh, you see, we can't actually be this blessed man. We can't actually be this tree unless Jesus was actually already this tree, this righteous, blessed man for us. But because Jesus was the sinless person, because he was the perfectly righteous person, he did not only do what he was supposed to, he didn't just avoid sin, but he also was positively righteous. He did the right thing every time. Because he was our sacrifice, because he was our substitute, we are actually able to then be the, this blessed man. We are then actually able to live righteous like this man that's depicted here. But most importantly, Jesus is also a judge. And so while all these things are true of Jesus, he is also going to separate the chaff from the wheat. Uh, Ellie grew up in East Texas, and uh, me being from the Panhandle, never having seen a tree before, we, I go to East Texas with her, and I'm just amazed by these things called pine trees. I don't know if y'all have ever seen one, but they are so tall. They're huge. And so we were driving down the road, and 
I would just be like looking out the window like, wow, I've never seen a tree that tall before. You know, any trees that we have are just mesquite trees and they grow up to, you know, almost as tall as me. <laughs> and so I was fascinated by all these trees here. And as I began to learn a little bit about, you know, East Texas ecology and trees there, I found out that not all the pine trees were the same, that they, that they all looked the same to me. Uh, not being educated in anything biology or ecology, but there are actually multiple types. There's slash pines, there's loblolly pines, there's longleaf pines, there's shortleaf pine. And um, the two most common forms out in East Texas are loblolly and longleaf pine. And so I started trying to figure out how to tell the difference. I really couldn't, but I was taught a trick to tell the difference. Uh, when a fire blows through a part of East Texas, through a forest, loblollies get burnt up because there's something in their sap that is very flammable. And so they just light up like a Christmas tree, they're gone. But, lob but longleaf pines are actually resistant to it. Their sap is actually a protectant thing for them. And so they actually benefit and grow better after a fire because there's less competition, they have more nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to warn you. I know we stand in a forest of trees. I know there, there, that there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. And if you really know what to look for, you can observe it. But one day, the reality is going to be divided. There will be two separate ends. And I pray, I pray that you know the blessings of the Lord now. Because if you do, when the day of judgment comes and Jesus separates the chaff from the wheat, that will actually be a blessing to you. You see, the blessing of the righteous is not just that he's generically blessed. The blessing of the righteous is that he will be preserved through this life and the next. No matter what, if you're a Christian, if you take faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be preserved through every storm, through every fire, through everything, through every drought, through every storm. You will be preserved by the Lord. I hope that's an immense comfort to you. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for the blessing that you give to the righteous. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see, that we, we would be able to train our eyes to be able to see the blessings that you have given us. Lord, if anyone here, which I assume everyone has, gone through a period of drought or storm, I pray that you would remind them how you sustained them through that time. Lord, we thank you for preserving us this far. We pray that we would continue to honor you um, with the blessings that you give us, Lord. We pray that you would continue to sustain us through this life and the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.